as soon as they have a workshop where it's really important to get all the heads together, to get all the ideas out, to get the perspectives, to know all the risks and opportunities for these important workshops, they will hire external facilitators. So I believe that in the next decade, the understanding for facilitation will increase. There will be more facilitation skills in-house and therefore more demand for very skilled facilitators coming from the outside of the company to support them. Hi, everyone. Are you a good listener? A person who doesn't need to be in the limelight to shine? Someone who's interested in helping work groups achieve their best possible outcomes? Perhaps you're considering making a career change or maybe looking to improve your facilitation skills. If so, you'll definitely want to listen to this episode, number 107, of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. My guest expert, Dr. Miriam Hadness, will share her expertise on such things as what do facilitators do? What kinds of facilitators are there? Who uses facilitators and where? and why the need for facilitators will continue to grow. And in true looking forward fashion, you'll hear about the steps you can take to become a facilitator, such as how to find a job in that field or to improve your facilitation skills so you can flourish within your profession. Miriam Hadness is a PhD behavioral economist by training, the host of the Workshops Work podcast by passion, and a facilitator by profession. Motivated by the vision that we can change the world one workshop at a time, Miriam curates the global never-done-before community that explores the edges of the art and craft of facilitation. In her work, Miriam applies scientific insights about human behavior and group dynamics, along with her learnings from experts on her podcast to improve collaborative work. You'll find out more about Miriam and how to connect with her at the end of this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. If that describes you, then this is the podcast for you. If you're a freelancer, a startup or small business, a well-established company, a nonprofit, or even someone thinking about a second or possibly a third career, this is for you too. You see, here in Looking Forward, we focus on global trends in the future, but most importantly, on the opportunities they're creating. Yes, we're all about opportunities here. Our guest experts will not only tell you about those opportunities, they will also give you some tips to help you take the first steps toward capitalizing on them. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Well, hi, Miriam. Welcome to Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. It's great to talk to somebody who's in Holland. Years ago, I had the opportunity to speak in The Hague about marketing to seniors. I love what we're going to talk about today, Miriam, because I've done a little bit in my career of this, but you have done a lot of it, and you've become an expert on this. Can you please first explain to everybody what is meant by facilitation? Yes, thank you. First of all, thank you for calling me an expert. And I think everything that I know about facilitation, I've learned from 
the facilitators that I interviewed on my podcast. So after speaking to a hundred and almost 200 people, 200 experts, wow. I got a little bit of that. So for me, a facilitator, whether it's a workshop facilitator, meeting facilitator, is basically someone who helps a group to communicate and collaborate in a way that they become larger than their parts. A facilitator does not come in as a subject matter expert, but a facilitator trusts that all the knowledge is inside the room and amongst the participants already. So the role of the facilitator is to create an environment where everyone can share what they know and maybe what they haven't shared in this format and context before so that together they can take a decision, solve a problem, innovate, create whatever it is they need to do. That sounds great. And I want to follow up with you on that, Miriam. I, having done facilitation, one of the things that I thought was very important about it, which I want to just ask you about is making people feel more comfortable to speak their minds as a facilitator. Mm -hmm. And part of that is just not making them feel comfortable within the environment they're in, but also with you, because you're this stranger who walked in there and what do you know? So can you comment a little bit about that too? Very good point. Thank you. It depends a little bit on whom is a facilitator. Is it an external facilitator? who comes into an organization and so they are indeed a stranger. And then it's important, as you say, to create a, a level of connection beforehand or at least within the first five minutes. So what I like to do when I'm working with new groups is I would send them a short video where I introduce myself, for instance. This is me. This is what I'm doing. This is what I stand for. And I'm looking forward to working with you. And then at least they see my face, they get my tone of voice. And even when you're working with a group that know you, so if you're facilitating a team meeting and it is your team, then still I think you have to build the rapport and you have to make them trust you. And it might even be more difficult because you're suddenly in a different role. So while you have been maybe just a team member first, suddenly you're there to guide the conversation. I have a strong opinion on that, and maybe someone might disagree. I believe that you cannot participate and facilitate at the same time. Either you facilitate, and then you are in charge of the process, you're in charge of creating the environment where everyone feels comfortable, as you say, to speak their mind, that everyone is heard, or you're participating, and then you contribute to the conversation, and you have an opinion, and you have an agenda. As a facilitator, you are supposed to be neutral. And what I mean by that is not neutral for not having an opinion. We all have opinions, but neutral when it comes to the outcome. So you're open to any outcome that the group comes to and you're not attached to it. So you don't have a hidden agenda. I think that's great. It's very helpful information for somebody who's thinking about becoming a meaning facilitator or, or maybe already is. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. If you could just share with us briefly how you got involved in facilitation. I know you talked about interviewing all these meeting facilitators and good for you. What got you interested in this and got you doing this? Long story short, 
the longest time of my professional life I spent in higher education. So I worked for the Goethe University in Frankfurt, then worked for the Vietnamese German University in Ho Chi Minh City to set up a study program. And then I dropped out of the research and academia part and started working for the University of Luxembourg, where I became the strategic advisor to the university president. And still, I have not heard or known the word facilitator. But now looking back, already at my time as a researcher and as a university teacher, I was facilitating the learning to the students by using classroom experiments, games. And then when I was in Luxembourg, I had the amazing opportunity to assist Professor Rainer Klump in implementing his vision, which was to build the European model research university of the 21st century. and. In his vision, it was a bottom-up strategy process. So we had strategy groups that were led by professors, but then invited in ministers, lobbyists, students, secretaries, so the administrative staff, as well as the academic staff, as well as industrial world. And there I got to observe and witness the energy that comes into an organization if you invite them in. And if you invite different perspectives from different roles, I left there after my boss left and came to Amsterdam to redesign my life because I realized that the public sector is still quite restrictive. And in doing that, I started to host a meetup that I called Idea Parties. Come with a problem, we brainstorm on your solution and walk away with ideas, solutions and new friends. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> And by doing that, I was approached by others to, um, who asked me to help them design workshops and who asked me to facilitate workshops and offered me money for that. And in that time, I realized that there's a name for that. It's called facilitation. <laughs> okay. So I started calling myself facilitator <laughs> uh, with pride. And because there was a lot of non-understanding or misunderstanding, especially because, for instance, in German, there's no word for facilitator. It's called moderator, but a moderator is not a facilitator. So I started the podcast basically as a marketing tool for the professional facilitation. That's interesting. And the name of the podcast is Workshops Work. Workshops Work, everybody. We'll get to that later on. Fascinating. What I like about that is, and people take note of this, Miriam evolved into a somewhat new career, a new path. She didn't find this at 23 or 24. It was her life experience that led her to that. And that's something I think we all need to take heed of, that we may not figure out what we want to do for sure when we just get out of college. And certainly to ask us to figure it out when we're in college, that's a whole other story. I started the career shift because my partner back then asked me one question. He asked me, Miriam, what would you do if you were not afraid? And without thinking, I said, I would quit my job. Wow. And three months later, I did. And I think sometimes it's worth asking these questions and sit on them and see what this leads us to. Good for you. Miriam, it appears as though the use of facilitators has gotten more popular. What do you think that is? So why is there more attention now on the role of facilitators? I think that... We have suffered from bad meetings for decades already. 
The pandemic, though, has been, in my eyes, an amplifier for what has been happening. My theory is that if we're in an office space, in the physical space, then the opportunity cost of sitting in a meeting are quite low because you either sit on your desk and you do your work or you're still at work and you sit in a boring meeting. At least you can say, I'm so busy, I'm in a meeting. So there's some status attached to that. And meetings back then were already bad. Then we moved into the pandemic and suddenly all the meetings happen online. So the opportunity cost of being in a meeting is not compared to, I would otherwise sit on my desk and work. No, I could spend time with my family. I could sit on the couch. I could play with my dog. And suddenly it becomes much more obvious how bad these meetings actually are. And many of the listeners might recognize the situation. You are in a meeting, everyone is off camera, and you have to sit there. You are not taken into consideration. Nobody ever mentions your name. Nobody even recognizes, acknowledges your presence. And still you cannot go away. It feels like being captivated. And I think there, everyone has experienced how energy draining it is to sit in these bad meetings that has actually just could have been an email. Yeah. And still yeah. they're wasting our time. I think this was an amplifier that suddenly everyone realized how much time we spent in meetings and how much this actually affects our energy. Do we have any idea if there are a large number of people like you out there and has that grown at all? I remember that when I launched the podcast and I started my business, I did some research because I thought facilitation is a niche. And when I started the podcast, I thought after 20 episodes, what is there to talk about on facilitation? Right. And now 190 episodes later, there's still <laughs> more than enough, even yeah. more than uh, back then. So I did a research and I think back then the LinkedIn search for the role of a facilitator in their job title was 1.2 million. And this wow. was five years ago. Yeah. Wow. So it's quite a big niche. Wow. That's yeah. huge. I had no idea. Yeah. This being said, when we say facilitator, they're the scrum masters, they're the design thinking facilitators. There might even be healers or dance professionals that would call themselves facilitators. Maybe some teachers call themselves facilitators. You have creative facilitators of creative workshops. And then meeting facilitators, I wonder whether there are that many external meeting facilitators, actually, because it is a cost factor. So how many companies can actually afford to hire someone to come in from the external world to facilitate their meeting? What would rather happen is that they hire someone from the external world to facilitate a workshop, but have internal experts on the meeting facilitation, or they hire experts from outside to train their staff members in having better meetings and training the skills of meeting facilitation. Miriam, just to pick up on what you said, as you know, Looking Forward doesn't just speak with experts from around the world. We have listeners who are from around the world. In that context, I wanted to ask you, in what parts of the world has the use of facilitators become more popular? From what I observe is that 
in the US, they've been, as always, the first, I think, to recognize that facilitation was a thing. In the Netherlands, I'm surprised how many facilitators there are and how well-connected they are. Next, I would see Australia to be full of facilitators and a highly engaged group. And recently, especially through my, I'm hosting global community of facilitators, never done before. And there we have more and more facilitators actually joining from the African continent. So we have Kenya and Uganda on board. We have Mozambique and South Africa, and we have Egypt, the Middle East and North African region. Wow. So facilitation has become a thing worldwide. And then there's still some outliers like Germany, where I think they do facilitation. But since there's no name, no word for it, it makes it quite difficult, actually. Isn't that interesting? Do you know much about the United States and its use of facilitators, Miriam? I think in the United States, it's been more common to hire externals when it comes to strategy workshops, design sprints, design thinking. All of this was invented in the States and I think especially in the startup scene in Silicon Valley, it's just so hip to have this more creative approach to innovation and to strategy. That's why I think it's more common there. And also I, two years ago, I ran a survey, a global survey on pricing in the facilitation world. And what was interesting was that in the US, freelance facilitators would charge about two to three thousand dollars more per workshop for wow. one day workshop, uh, which was almost double actually than they would charge here in Europe. That's interesting. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about looking forward opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. And hey, if you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or maybe even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, event hosting and meeting facilitation, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Miriam, we have listeners who are looking for opportunities. If somebody wanted to get into this field, where would they seek out the opportunities if they're looking for a first job or to change their career as you did? Yeah, that's a good question. I think some large multinational companies might look for internal facilitators and then it's normal job ads that you would find. Otherwise, it's very often through HR departments who are looking for workshop facilitators on specific topics. And then it's either on the job portals or on LinkedIn, these kind of networks. What is interesting, though, when you're 
audience is looking into the opportunity of becoming a facilitator. I don't believe that coming out of college, facilitation is the first thing you want to do just because you need more maturity and you need a groundness. And I think the mindset is very important. Most facilitators, and this makes it fascinating, have had a very interesting career beforehand. And they're using whatever skill set they have learned in their previous careers to apply it to their work as a facilitator working with groups. I have spoken to a DJ about what he has learned from DJing about facilitation. I have spoken to massage therapists, what they have learned from massage therapy about facilitation. So even a dance teacher who now transitions to leadership workshops because the skills and the way we're doing that is basically the same. Very interesting. Miriam, if I'm somebody and I'm looking to change my career or like you talked about the DJ or yourself, I'm not just out of college. I've got a great background. I might have the skills, which we'll get into again later on. Might I target or try to find companies that actually do this sort of thing externally and they come in and they do the workshops and mm. so forth? Good question. I think that as far as I know, they're basically three different models. They are the freelance facilitators who just go out on their own and find their clients. They are agencies who work with freelance facilitators in a sort of gig economy way. And that's what I do with my company. For instance, I hire external facilitators or freelance facilitators to work with me on big client projects where I need facilitators to speak different languages and to work on all the different continents. And then there's a third one that are facilitation companies. So as you mentioned, they're focused. That's what they do. They help companies with all kinds of strategy workshops, change processes, and so on. Maybe there's even a distinction there. Those who train their facilitators, so you have to go through their accreditation and certification program so that they ensure that everyone actually uses the same methods. And that's their way of quality assurance. And then there might be the consultancies who hire facilitators. So if you're a UX design company, you need facilitators to make sure to get all the information from the clients in order to design this user experience for them. Terrific. You mentioned that the demand seems to be increasing in places like Egypt and parts of Africa and so forth. Would you think that there would therefore be greater opportunities potentially in certain countries to be involved in facilitation work? Thank you for asking. I said I see more facilitators in these countries. So this is the supply side. I'm not sure on the demand side. What I know that especially in these countries, there is a high demand in facilitation because there are a lot of NGOs, for instance, and their public projects, development projects, and they need facilitators because they want to work with a local population and they need people who are skilled in that to build the bridge. Otherwise, I would think that they're mainly the large companies, multinationals who go through digital transformation, change processes, who get a new leadership and they need facilitators to help them communicate and roll out big projects, basically. Excellent. Great information. Miriam, looking forward, as you may know, is also about looking into the future. 
and we're only going to ask you to look through the rest of this decade. Do you see any changes in the demand for facilitation? I believe that facilitation skills are the new presentation skills. In the 80s, maybe in the 90s, all the managers were sent to presentation skills training because this was important. And now I believe that it's changing that managers will be sent to facilitation skill training to reduce the amount of bad meetings, basically. What the audience might think then, oh, then all the facilitators will be internal and then there's no more jobs, no more work for us external facilitators. And I think this is wrong. I think the opposite is true because... I think when you know what good facilitation is, you value good facilitation more. So if internal staff members, managers know how to facilitate, they know what a good meeting looks like, then they would value and pay more for a good external facilitators. They will still hire them or even be more likely to hire them because they know that you cannot facilitate and participate at the same time. So yes, they will facilitate their own weekly meetings as soon as they have a workshop where it's really important to get all the heads together, to get all the ideas out, to get the perspectives, to know all the risks and opportunities for these important workshops, they will hire external facilitators. So I believe that in the next decade, the understanding for facilitation will increase. There will be more facilitation skills in-house and therefore more demand for very skilled facilitators coming from the outside of the company to support them. Well stated and very exciting for somebody who maybe hadn't thought as much about getting involved in facilitation until they heard you speaking right here. Let's talk about somebody who says, you know, I've listened to Miriam. And I really want to pursue this. What are a few tips, Miriam, you would give somebody to get them going with it? Of course, they've got to, I would think, have some skills, which you can talk about. And then they've got to figure out how do they find these jobs or the companies that would hire them to work for that company and then do facilitation. What are some tips? Let me start with the skills. So one, you don't have to be an extrovert. I think maybe some of the best facilitators are actually introverts. Wow. Because they're able to listen more and they don't necessarily need the stage to get the energy from. So a facilitator is someone who has worked on their ego because it's not about them, it's about the group. It's to be in service of the group. And that's why I think coming out of college and being at the beginning of your career, usually you haven't managed your ego yet. <laughs> sure. All the rest you can learn, the listening. I think what you really want is someone who cares for the group and who likes hosting and guiding conversations. And then how to learn how to facilitate. I think mostly by participating. And I think that's something that we underestimate. Go to other workshops, especially since the pandemic. There's so many free workshops around. There are communities who offer workshops. There's a Butter community and there's a Miro community and the Miro community and the L&D Shakers on LinkedIn, just to name a few. And Voltage Control, they all have free workshops to attend. With my community, never done before. We also have free workshops. And then practice facilitation. Get in front of groups. 
test what works, what doesn't. And in order to learn the material, how to design a workshop, there are certification programs. I think maybe the easiest and especially also when it comes to meeting facilitation are liberating structures. It's open source. It's a global network who uses certain method that is very flexible. And they have free workshops and they also have immersive trainings to become a liberating structures facilitator within yeah quite a short while. And then it's practice and find a community. I think that's the most important, find a community of like-minded people because peer learning, learning from doing, learning from talking about it, learning from experience. And Those are great tips, very specific. And then obviously, if someone is looking for certification, then there's the International Association of Facilitators. They do a very intense certification program. The problem with facilitation, though, is it's not a protected profession. So basically, everyone can call themselves a facilitator. Oh. And this makes it very tricky because you only know how good a facilitator is by being in their facilitated session. Yeah, you'll find out after the fact. And yeah. that's not a good thing. On the other hand, that's a good opportunity because all the facilitators are very eager to showcase their abilities. So there are a lot of free workshops around that anyone can join and where facilitators can show their work. Yes. Would you have to have a video? You mentioned you have a video. So I'm getting into the field, let's say, and I really want to tout myself now as a facilitator. Would I need to have a video that shows something related to that? Let's say the person has never done facilitation in a formal paid sense. How would mm -hmm. they advertise themselves or promote themselves? So the best strategy is first to get engaged, to get in front of potential clients or general people's eyes and ears, engaging on social media, sharing tips and tricks, having a YouTube channel to share tips and tricks. I think nowadays what really works is content marketing. So don't advertise, don't try to sell. But show what, show your abilities, share, share what you know. And I think in facilitation, it's actually interesting because we are all competitors. Yes. We are all doing the same thing. So it's not about what we are doing, but it's about how we are doing it. If you go on YouTube, there are a million videos on how to do a brainstorming. Yes. We are using all the same tools, but by showing how you're doing it, how you're explaining it, the energy you're bringing to the room, that's how you then differentiate from each other. And I think this is why maybe video is indeed actually one of the best channels. Yeah, host a free workshop and invite potential clients. Offer them a taster session. Excellent idea. One last question before we tell people how they can find out more about you and your workshops. Do companies, and I'm speaking here about probably bigger companies, US or not, do they actually advertise we're looking for an external facilitator to come in and do this. Or do you usually find out about it through your network? Are these posted jobs per se for a freelancer or a business to find? Both. I think for the big projects, they do post it. Unless it's some very big projects, they have to launch a tender and then put it on their websites or on different portals. Very often they just put it on social media and then it's word to mouth. And in groups and communities. 
So there are several facilitation communities where they would share gigs in my community never done before. We also share job opportunities and gigs that others might be interested so that everyone gets a chance to show their skills. That's terrific. Let's talk about your community, how people can get in touch with you, listen to your podcast, learn about your services. I know you do workshops. Tell us all about that stuff. Yeah, basically nowadays I have a community. It's called Never Done Before. Neverdonebefore.org. Love it. And the idea is that all the workshops we do, the only condition is that we haven't never done them before. <laughs> so it's a way to push ourselves, to push the methods, our skills and the high art of our craft to the edges to keep on learning and to be in this space, in this uncomfortable space to do something for the first time, because I think it's a muscle we can grow and we get more comfortable with it. Everything changes so fast nowadays that it's a good muscle to, to grow. Absolutely. So that's a paid community. We have a yearly festival. And then I have a company called workshops.work. It's more of an agency nowadays. So I work with large clients who need facilitators with different language skills located in different parts of the world. So to cover different time zones. And then I would staff the team of facilitators for the client mostly from the community because I know them and I know how they facilitate to then work with these clients on facilitative processes. And I build facilitation academies for corporates to help them train their internal facilitators. Fascinating. And give us again the name of your podcast and how people can find that. The podcast is called Workshops Work. <laughs> I like, love it. How can we make workshops work? And it's on all the players and on Spotify. And I have released 192 episodes, I think. So approaching 200 very soon. And it's one episode per week. For somebody who thought that they were going to not get beyond 20, you've done quite a lot of podcast episodes. Miriam, this has been terrific. Some very concrete information for listeners to take away not only in the opportunity in a broad sense, but how do they take those first steps? And it sounds like it is a very promising opportunity because as you're portraying it, the need for facilitators is going to increase as the value and appreciation for them gets greater and as the facilitator quality improves. Thank you again so much for being our guest on Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Looking Forward or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address, jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.